You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. IoT botnets bring Skunyan across the internet, why security cameras are attractive to bot rustlers, InfoArmor's explanation of the Yahoo breach gains traction among observers, Europol warns that ransomware is on the rise, Zerodium raises its iOS 10 remote jailbreak bounty to a cool million and a half, U.S. states continue to grapple with election hacking, and the Tofsi botnet is chumming for the lonely. Click with caution. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary and week in review for Friday, September 30th, 2016. The IoT botnets used against OVH and Krebs on security should, a Los Angeles Times op-ed says, terrify you. Terrify may be breathless, but the incidents represent a dramatic increase in criminal capability. Many of the devices herded into the botnets were security cameras. The threat posted by hacked security cameras isn't new. These cameras are widely deployed, and although people still tend to misleadingly call them closed-circuit TV, they're almost invariably networked. It's worth returning to a primer we received on cameras at the Jailbreak IoT Security Summit earlier this year. Our guide was Wesley Weinberg, a senior security research engineer at Microsoft. His premise was that security cameras were Internet of Things devices before people generally recognized that there was such a thing as an Internet of Things. The businesses that use them tend to link them to other systems, often physical security networks like those that control doors, and sometimes to building control systems like HVAC networks or even to point-of-sale systems. People have gone after IP cameras for many reasons, Weinberg told us. They may want access to a video stream, they may wish to modify a video stream, they may seek persistent access to the security system, or they may be interested in pivoting from camera to other networks. His advice to users of security cameras included recognizing that while IP camera protocols aren't themselves necessarily flawed, their implementation often is, and that, as he put it, feature equals attack surface. Many of those attack surfaces are physical attack surfaces, an accessible compact flash card port, Ethernet, video, audio, input-output, and so on. So if you must network your security camera once you've paid due attention to implementation, you'd do well to restrict physical access to the camera itself and to restrict the ways the camera can communicate. As DDoS attacks of the last two weeks have shown, the risks aren't restricted to the camera's users, and that's true of the IoT as a whole. InfoArmor's study of the Yahoo breach maintains those responsible weren't state-sponsored, but rather criminals who subsequently sold their take to a nation-state. This explanation is gaining traction in the industry press. Some observers continue to point out that in some parts of the world there's often very little daylight between criminals and security services. Europol warns that crypto ransomware remains a big threat. 
The Princess Locker is one relatively new strain. Its demands show a distinctive and unusual escalation. The initial ask is three bitcoin, but if you don't pony up by the deadline, the threats get uglier and the demand doubles to six bitcoin. Plixer's CEO Michael Patterson told the CyberWire that he agrees with assessments that ransomware incidents will continue to rise in the coming months. The money's relatively easy. And big breaches like the Yahoo compromise have put a lot of credentials onto the black market, which makes for easier phishing of victims. He sketches a likely scenario. Quote, Imagine purchasing the stolen 200 million Yahoo email list for $1,860 and then targeting them with a phishing attack that looks as though it came from Yahoo's account recovery team. Many of those 200 million recipients would be tempted to open the malicious email. Once they click, the ransomware encrypts the victim's files and the user is forced to make what could be a difficult decision. End quote. And as always, the best line of defense against ransomware is secure, regular backup. And there are other forms of extortion online than crypto ransomware. Flashpoint continues to keep an eye on the unfolding attempt by the Dark Overlord to extort money from a California investment company, the Dark Overlord doxed. If the Dark Overlord isn't paid, he'll continue to dribble out increasingly sensitive files. In industry news, Zerodium has upped its bounty for an iOS 10 remote jailbreak to $1.5 million. This is not a conventional bug bounty. Zerodium is a zero-day broker, and they're quite clear that they want exploitable stuff, not idle proofs of concept. The tally of states experiencing hacking attempts in the U.S. is now up to 20. For the most part, the attempts as reported amount to reconnaissance, or sometimes theft of not particularly highly sensitive and sometimes publicly available anyway, voter data. There's growing awareness that one need not corrupt an election's data nationwide to affect its outcome. Carbon Black thinks attending selectively to Pennsylvania precincts could do the trick. Of course, the prime persons of interest in election hacking remain the two bears, cozy and especially fancy. And finally, for all the worries about the Internet of Things and its potential for botnet rustling, many ordinary botnets are also still out there, so it's not all IoT all the time. The Tofsi botnet, for example, is newly active and aggressive, reports Talos. Tofsi is spamming out fishbait consisting of what's euphemistically called adult dating opportunities, mostly involving claims that Russian and Ukrainian beauties are looking for you, Mr. Lonely Heart. Don't be fooled. Ludmilla hasn't discovered you as a soulmate, and Ludmilla might not even be Ludmilla. For all you know, Ludmilla is actually Vladimir, all 181.437 kilos of him, and working not from his parents' basement, but perched in a lawn chair in front of a wading pool and a MIG. Think before you click. Remember the MIG. Did we mention 181.437 kilos? That's 400 pounds, or as we like to say around here, one hacker weight. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. 
In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. Joining me once again is Marcus Rosschecker. He's the Cybersecurity Program Manager at the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. Uh, Marcus saw a report come by uh, via Reuters that uh, New York has issued some cyber regulations for banks and insurers. Uh, what can you tell us about this? Yeah, this is a big news. Um, New York actually proposed regulations for cybersecurity. Um, and uh, so they, they're not in force yet, these regulations, but they are proposed by New York State. Um, these regulations would affect uh, businesses in the banking sector, the insurance sector, uh, financial sector. And this proposal has been getting a lot of attention because um, a lot of the best practices that we talk about in cybersecurity would actually become part of the regulation here. And uh, companies that would be um, under these regulations would now be forced to implement some of these best practices. That includes, uh, among other things, um, that companies would have to uh, nominate a CISO, a Chief Information Security Officer. Um, They would also have to have written cybersecurity policies in place. They would have to do regular risk assessments. Uh, They'd have to have other written policies and procedures uh, applicable to cybersecurity practices. Uh, They'd have to start using encryption and um, do internal and external cyber audits. And on top of everything else, they not only would have to be concerned about their own cybersecurity, but they would have to have knowledge about the cybersecurity status of any third parties that they deal with. Lots packed in into these regulations, and um, uh, we'll see if they if they actually go through. So uh, there's a there's a 45 day comment period before anything happens. Is there any feeling uh, how the how the banks and the other the other organizations that are under these regulations are responding to this proposal? Right. So uh, whenever there's talk of regulations, uh, businesses generally uh, speak out against regulations. Um, as you can imagine, regulations uh, traditionally, or the, as the traditional argument goes, would increase costs for businesses, would increase the burden on businesses. So I'm sure we're going to hear a lot of the same kind of response to, to these proposed regulations. Um, my guess is is that larger companies, um, companies with a lot of resources, are probably already doing most of the things that are in these regulations. So um, there probably wouldn't be much of an additional cost or burden on these companies uh, to implement or continue to perform, do the things that are contained in the regulation. Um, but you know, these regulations could become problematic for for some mid or smaller sized companies who don't necessarily have the resources to do everything that they would now be required to do. Certain companies are going to be exempt from these regulations. Um, If we're talking about smaller sized companies, uh, companies with with fewer than a thousand customers, for example, or or companies that have uh, that make less than five million in gross annual revenue. Um, those companies, those smaller-sized companies, they would be exempt from these regulations. 
And, and with I, New York, obviously, is in a leadership position when it comes to the banking and insurance uh, industries. So is this the sort of thing where other states would follow suit after New York's lead? Or would that even be necessary? Would enough things be covered just by New York having these regulations? I think by New York uh, coming forward and proposing these regulations, they are really taking a leadership role here. And I think a lot of other states are going to be very interested to see how things develop in New York. And I think it might be a sign of things to come. Um, There's been talk about regulation for a long time now. Uh, Here we have an instance now where they're actually being implemented. So everyone's going to pay close attention. And I think it might be a sign of things to come in other states as well. All right, Marcus Rauschecker, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. My guest today is Dr. Eli David. He's the chief technology officer at Deep Instinct, a company that claims to be the first to apply the concept of deep learning to cybersecurity. Dr. David is one of the leading researchers in the field of computational intelligence. We wanted to learn more about deep learning and how it applies to cybersecurity. It is the closest we have got in computer science to creating something that uh, mimics our brains or more accurately takes direct inspiration from our brain. Uh, Deep learning has obtained amazing results in all the fields it has been applied to. In computer vision, we have seen 20 to 30 percentage point improvements in all the benchmarks, similar improvements in speech recognition, a big improvement in text understanding. And in all these fields, deep learning is completely agnostic to the domain, processing just raw data without any feature engineering or pre-processing. Cybersecurity is a very tough problem since it is very easy to create new malware and it's very difficult to detect them. So the underlying uh, idea of us was that if deep learning has been so successful in the other fields, uh, especially when tackling challenging problems, then it should be successful here too. So help me understand, uh, you know, when does artificial intelligence cross over and become deep learning? Actually, deep learning is a subfield of uh, machine learning, which is in itself a subfield of uh, artificial intelligence. Since the early 2000s, machine learning has been the most successful field within AI. The idea in machine learning is instead of we humans try to find smart heuristics and code it, we just gather data and give it to the machine so that the machine will learn by itself by observing many examples. This is traditional machine learning. But the problem with traditional machine learning is that in every problem that you apply it, you first need to perform feature extraction, feature engineering. 
For example, if the problem is uh, face recognition, you need to bring image processing experts to analyze the problem domain and tell you that the most important features are distance between pupils, distance between nose and the mouth, proportions of the face, etc. And this is how in traditional machine learning the raw data, in our example the raw image, is converted into a list of a few tens or at most a few hundred values. When you look at someone and you recognize their face, you're not calculating the distance between their pupils and multiplying it by proportions of their face, hopefully. You're just receiving the raw data, the raw pixels, and your visual cortex, by having learned how faces look like, immediately provides a prediction. The deep learning is the first family of methods within machine learning that completely skips that feature extraction phase. So in deep learning, we have many layers of artificial neurons. In our brain, we have real neurons. In deep learning or deep neural networks, artificial neurons. They're connected to each other via synapses. And we have hundreds of millions of synapses in tens of layers of neural networks in typical artificial neural net. So back to our analogy, if you're applying deep learning to uh, face recognition, the input would be just raw pixels, no pre-processing whatsoever. In text understanding, it would typically be the raw characters, not even words, characters. And in our case, in cybersecurity, we train our brain, uh, the deep instinct brain, by training it on data sets of uh, many hundreds of millions of samples of malicious and legitimate files, and the input is just the raw bytes. So in Deep Instinct, we'll look at a computer file exactly as if it is an image, uh, but with bytes instead of pixels. So we're completely agnostic to the file format. We do, do static uh, prediction. We even don't care about uh, the operating system. So this is how deep learning is much more versatile than traditional machine learning, which is in itself the most successful field within AI. So is there uh, is there a penalty to pay in terms of uh, computational overhead? Deep learning is uh, very cumbersome to train. Um, you do require special purpose hardware. The reason is that deep learning is a family of several tens of algorithms complex to understand, difficult to implement, but the most challenging part is that even if you do have a full implementation, you still have to re-implement everything on GPUs, graphical processing units, which are, in our case, up to 100 times faster than CPUs for the training purposes. So deep learning is very cumbersome and slow for training, very fast in prediction mode. It takes a few milliseconds on the slowest CPU or mobile device that you can imagine for the prediction to work. This sounds a bit counterintuitive, but in fact it's very similar to how our brain works. Uh, it takes us many years to learn a new language, but w when we learn it, it takes a few milliseconds to remember how a certain word is called. And I would say that within our lifetimes, some say 10 years, some say uh, 30, 40 years, uh, we will most probably see near human level artificial uh, cognition. Because what we see is that the more neurons we're capable uh, of adding to our deep learning module, the better results we obtain. Similar to the evolution of homo sapiens, more brain, more neurons, better cognition. 
So we do think that the, we are approaching the level that in the next uh, few tens of years, computers will be virtually indistinguishable from humans uh, as far as their cognitive capabilities are concerned. That's Dr. Eli David. He's the Chief Technology Officer at Deep Instinct. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. It's Maria Varmazas here, your host over at T Minus Space Daily, and sometimes a guest on Hacking Humans, too. We here at N2K Cyberwire work hard to bring you concise, intelligence-driven news and commentary, and we'd like to know how we're doing. Please take a few minutes to complete our audience survey and share your feedback to help us continue to grow and meet your needs. Visit cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to get started. Thanks so much for your input as we reach for the stars. It means the universe to us. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Thank you.